0: Welcome to Green Bull Radio. I'm your host, Kendall Titchener. On the show, we share how notable leaders apply environment, social, and governance factors in business. Welcome to Green Bull Radio. I'm your host, Kendall Titchener. Today, we're joined by Megan Harris-Nye at EY. We'll discuss the basics of climate change and the various ways Corporate Canada is addressing the challenge. Thanks for joining me, Megan. Let's kick things off. Tell me about you.
1: Well, so um, I'm a partner at EY. Um, I lead the climate change and sustainability practice at EY for Western Canada. Um, and I've been uh, in this role or in, in the firm for almost 11 years now, um, but I've essentially spent my entire career in sustainability. So, um, you know, being in this role and, and being right in the thick of the movement around climate change has been quite, quite interesting and, and definitely creates for a compelling day-to-day workload. Can you
0: give a little overview of your role at EY?
1: Sure. So as a, as a partner, um, I'm ultimately accountable for uh, the delivery of climate change and sustainability services to our clients across multiple sectors. Um, and I'm also responsible for leading a team of professionals who actually deliver those services as well. Um, and so as a partner, we're, we're obviously as partners accountable um, for growing practice this, this area of the practice, um, being thought leadership being thought leaders on the, on the topic um, and helping our, our clients uh, strategically address some of these uh, significant challenges. Um, and we've been doing that for a number of years, but over the last couple of years with climate change rising to the top of the agenda, um, our role has been pronounced in terms of what we do within our own firm. So EY's role on climate change as well as how we serve our clients.
0: So can you define climate change and provide some examples?
1: Sure. So I'll I'll give a bit of my what I use as my definition in in fairly simple terms of of what climate change is from a physical uh, standpoint. So climate change essentially occurs when long term weather patterns are altered. Uh, For example, through human activity, um, global warming is one measure of climate change. Um, and, And it really essentially relates to a rise in the average global temperature. Um, there's increased awareness now that greenhouse gas emissions and the impact of climate change on society um, is essentially leading to growing calls uh, that businesses need to be Um, both morally and commercially uh, responsible for taking the lead in an effort to combat climate change. Um, And I know uh, Kendall, I think we're gonna talk about that in a few minutes, but um, it's essentially given rise to a lot of the movement globally, but in basic terms, it's essentially the the physical component that um, is now being addressed as a significant concern by uh, governments um, in terms of the impact it's gonna have on the human race.
0: So what is the risk in not addressing climate change?
1: Well, there's a number of things that have been um, now discussed and and been highlighted. So obviously, from the physical side of climate change, you know, the the risk is that if we do nothing or we don't look to address climate change, that it is going to have a significant um, impact on on people globally and certain um, geographies and economies are going to be more impacted than others. Um, You know, with rising sea levels, with the impact of you started to see um, forest fires, you know, you you look at all these different altered weather patterns globally and the impact that it's having. Um, There's also a concern that from a physical standpoint, that that's going to have a significant impact on the financial stability of our economies globally. And so there's been um, dramatic action that's been um, addressed on a global scale to really mitigate the risk of financial destabilization of economies um, because of climate change. And so that's why you're starting to see so much momentum um, across the world from different stakeholder groups trying to really get a handle on you know, what we need to do to mitigate the rise in temperature so that we can reduce the impact on both the economy and, and people. And we're already starting to see in certain geographies uh, globally uh, climate refugees. So the impact that that could potentially have on you know the way we live um, is significant and so that's why you're starting to see so much momentum and discussion on what we can actually do to mitigate those risks
0: and we're hearing a lot of companies talk about reducing their carbon footprint so what exactly does this mean
1: so what that means is um companies if you look at what carbon means it's essentially greenhouse gas emissions. So air emissions. Um, And when you hear companies talk about reducing their carbon footprint, really what they're looking at is reducing their greenhouse gas emissions. And so that's why um, you see a lot of companies talking about um, not only reducing, but actually setting targets for reduction. And I think we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But it's essentially, um, they're looking at reducing their greenhouse gas uh, emissions on an annual basis
0: and we've heard uh, projections that because of covid economic activity has slowed down and the world is emitting fewer greenhouse gases how does co- how has covid impacted corporate and government climate change strategies
1: So I would say, you know, I I did, you know, I've definitely been um, quite connected to this during COVID. And yes, we have seen a a global reduction uh, in greenhouse gas emissions because of the slowing of, um, you know, economic, the economies, you know, factories being shut down. um, People are not commuting the same way. There's a number of reasons for why we've seen what would be considered more of a temporary, um, but not necessarily systemic reduction of greenhouse gases. Um, because there was always a prediction that as as the world returned back to a more normal way of behaving, that those emissions will start to go up and we'll start to see that data come out, I would expect, over the next six months. Um, I would say that in terms of how it's impacted corporate and government um, strategies on the the corporate side, I would say that um, what we've seen in the corporate space is that, They've been, you know, very focused on climate from a strategy perspective. Um, they're being pushed by numerous stakeholders, primarily investors in the finance community, to really look at what their individual corporation um, contributes to climate change. So they're really looking. Investors are are pushing corporations to really assess, you know, what is their exposure to a two and we'll talk in a minute about the two degree climate scenario globally, um, but also to assess their physical and financial risk exposure to climate change. And so as a result, during COVID, we've actually seen more and more companies um, dig in on what their actual corporate strategy is to address climate change. And so that momentum has not slowed down. Um, and we've seen definitely a lot of corporates start to set climate reduction targets, um, which is essentially greenhouse gas reduction targets during this period. On the government side, again, similar vein, um, what we've seen is a focus um, and in in Canada specifically, but even in global other uh geographies, we've seen governments focus on this concept of build back better um, and looking at how you know, having a progressive approach to addressing climate can actually have a positive return on the economy, and so we started to see that through stimulus funding. Um, you know, and to get access to that type of funding from governments, there's a need for companies, for example, to demonstrate their governance around climate change. So, during this time, we've definitely seen governments—they have not slowed down um, in their in their approach to climate. Um, and in Canada specifically, because we have our 2015 net zero target, you know, our Canadian government has been very focused through this period on their climate change plans.
0: Okay. So like an example of that is I, I'm seeing a lot of talk of um, like the green infrastructure. Um, Absolutely. Stimulus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so Microsoft recently announced that it will be carbon negative by 2030. So what does this mean?
1: So carbon negativity is essentially a reduction of an entity's carbon footprint to less than neutral. So it means that the entity in question has a net effect of removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere atmosphere rather than adding it. So in simple terms, it means that instead of actually, if, if a company, if Microsoft is emitting up until now, if they've been emitting greenhouse gases on, a, on an annual basis, going forward, what they're going to do is essentially look to remove carbon and not emit any carbon into the atmosphere. So it's a fairly aggressive um, target, but it's definitely something knowing, knowing Microsoft and, and their focus on innovation Um, You know, I wasn't I wasn't surprised to actually hear that that is is their objective for 2030.
0: Great. Yeah, it sounds like quite a quite a feat, but interesting. It is, but interesting.
1: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) absolutely.
0: So what can Canada do to lead the way in climate change efforts? Um, How can we become the global standard?
1: So I think there's a number of ways that we can become um, that we can demonstrate leadership on climate. And, you know, one of the things that that we are are doing well um, across multiple sectors is, you know, having corporations take a, a lead role in demonstrating their commitment to climate governance um, And, you know, looking at we are we are very natural resource heavy in Canada, Um, and so that's not that doesn't come as a secret (laughs) to anybody that it's a significant challenge. Um, But I think in order for us to demonstrate our leadership, we need our we need corporates um, to take a lead role in that. Um, the other way is through this concept of build back better. So our government has a significant role to play not only in dem- well, essentially in demonstrating our progress to achieving that net zero 2050 target, which is a which is a big feat, because it essentially means um, transforming their energy system in Canada, and you started to see um, significant movements towards that. But we cannot transform that energy system without having the right policies in place so that our economy... Um, does not um, become affected. And so we've started to see a lot of those discussions. Um, and they're, they're, as expected, very polarized in Canada, especially as it relates to oil and gas. Um, but really having a comprehensive effort and being transparent about what our transformation in Canada looks like as we look to address climate risk, and being transparent about that on a global scale, really helps us be seen as as leaders on climate.
0: So uh, taking a bit, I guess, of a a more macro approach, what is the Paris Agreement?
1: So the Paris Agreement um, is it's an agreement within the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. um, And it's dealing with greenhouse gas emissions, mitigation, adaptation and finance. And it was signed in 2016. Um, and essentially what happened um, with that agreement is that there were, there was an agreement to look to, but by, by those who signed it to keep, um, keep global warming at below two degrees Celsius. Um, and really there was an effort to try to limit it to 1.5 degrees. And so what we've seen since then is um, And that's why you've seen the, the net zero targets be set, including within Canada, as a, as a signatory to that agreement, is pathways, essentially, um, to keep the global warming below two degrees. And so there's a lot of research that's now being done to see whether we can actually meet um, these targets. Um, but essentially, that was the agreement that was made um, in, in 2016 at COP22. Um And it looks to have, you know, essentially a strategy beyond 2030. So it's it's a fairly aggressive um, scenario. And I think from what I've seen from some of the research, um, depending on how you look at it, given the rise in greenhouse gas emissions, even with COVID, um, it doesn't look like we're trending towards keeping our global warming below two degrees Celsius, but that's why you've started to see a lot of efforts being made by different governments globally to accelerate um, the reduction in greenhouse gases. And a lot of the pressure is now being made on companies to do their part in, in making their own reductions so that we can, in fact, keep, keep the temperature below two degrees Celsius in terms of warming.
0: Canada's strategy to achieve net zero by 2050?
1: So this is a difficult question to answer, to be honest, uh, Kendall, and I think because in Canada, um, it's it's very complicated um, when you actually look at, as I mentioned, the transformation of the energy system that would need to happen across all sectors in Canada, um, and that it would need to happen by 2050. It, it's not that it's impossible, but it's definitely a tall order, and it requires all stakeholders to be working in the same direction to achieve that target. And so right now within Canada, one of the biggest challenges we have is that there's definitely a polarized discussion on whether net zero makes sense, the pathway to do it, um, You know, what's the role of government in setting appropriate policies to be able to have the right pathways in place to hit net zero and also the impact um, that it's going to have on some sectors more than others. So, you know, using oil and gas as an example, um, you know, there's some aggressive uh, target setting being made, but that requires a lot of capital investment to make those reductions. And so looking at what, you know, stimulus funding, you know, what can be done um, from an innovation perspective and how can that be funded so that we can actually achieve those targets. So there's a number of different um, pathways to reduction. There's a lot of different discussion about it but I would say that our biggest challenge at the moment is getting past the polarized discussion on it so that we can actually all start to move in the same direction and that we're right uh, in the thick of that at the moment um, across the country.
0: So what are some energy sources and technologies Canada is exploring in order to achieve net zero and what are some of the pros and cons with these options?
1: So I would say there's a number of different um, energy sources, so some examples um, carbon capture for sure um, there 's a big discussion right now on hydrogen um, that is definitely one that 's rising to the top um, we 've seen discussion on geothermal uh, solar wind there 's a number of different um, i would say uh, energy sources that are being explored. Um, I think the challenge with this space when it comes to actually identifying the pros and cons, there are so many different pros and cons to each that the challenge we face is in certain geographies, as we know, um, we need to have reliable energy sources because of our our environment um, that we live in. And so being able to actually set up a stable energy system so that we can really always have access to enough energy to essentially function is one of the biggest challenges. And then making sure that no matter what energy uh, source we decide on, um, that the right policies are in place to actually um, stimulate the, the growth of those types of sources. So Um, Without getting into the detail on every single source, um, I would say that's probably the biggest, one of the biggest challenges that we have. Um, And there's definitely a lot of disagreement on which source is better, depending on what side of the fence you sit on. I would say carbon capture is taking off. Um, You know, I would say five years ago, it was a it, it was a bigger discussion because of the cost. But we've started to see a lot of investment be made in carbon capture because a lot of research has been done that it works. Um, nuclear, I think is the, the pro on that is obviously, um, from the emissions perspective, it, it's, it, there's a benefit, but, um, from a geopolitical and social uh, side of things, I think nuclear is a tougher one. Um, and it, it's created a bit of a polarized discussion in Canada. Geothermal, we've seen in certain jurisdictions and we've seen that it works. There just hasn't been as much focus on it, um, as I would have expected, uh, to be honest. And so I think there's a huge opportunity with geothermal, but we haven't seen it take off as much. And then in the energy storage space, I would say there's a lot of discussion and and innovation being done in energy storage. So I think you're going to start to see um, a lot more movement in that space. And then as it relates to just um, greenhouse gas reduction in general, um, there's a significant amount of research uh, being done on different ways to Uh, I guess, create greenhouse gas reductions. Um, And we're starting to see more and more companies take the onus upon themselves to innovate on development of technologies for reduction across multiple sectors. So, you know, when I think about your question, I know I've answered it in a slightly different way, going back to my comment earlier around the energy system, you know the energy sy- system and the transformation of it also needs to go hand in hand with greenhouse gas reduction and so all the different stakeholders <laughs> need to be at the table to make sure that we're all working towards the same goal.
0: Yeah and I'm what I'm hearing is there there is no silver bullet despite yes you know, what your what your viewpoint is. Um and that yeah there there's gonna be pros and cons depending on what's chosen and and I think there's um kind of from what I'm seeing some misconceptions on I guess what clean energy means and and that there is no Absolutely. truly clean energy yeah. um so yeah. it's yeah, it's interesting to hear from your your perspective too because you have such great insights what what type of energy sources are starting to pick up momentum at this time and and how. That's
1: yeah, I would say you know even eight years ago there was a big focus on wind um you know and there's continues to be investment in in wind power um solar is another one um, that i didn't really mention but you know the cost of solar has come down significantly and there's been a a lot of innovation on uh you know the storage um and also from uh you know just geographically speaking where can you have solar power and how And and so what we started to see is a lot of focus on that, but where there are some challenges as it relates to policies and stimulus for these types of um, sources of energy. And there's been a lot, again, going back to the polarized dialogue on energy, you've seen incentives in certain provinces and not in others. And so again, going back to that comment earlier around, there is no silver bullet, but we do need to at least be working towards the same goal in theory so that we can start to see movement um, both from a reduction climate change strategy perspective, but also to make sure we balance the impact um, on our economy and making sure that we actually have a stable source of energy um, across the country.
0: Well, this, this segues nicely into my next question. Climate change is a polarizing topic. Canada leads the way in terms of our environmental stewardship and And we're blessed with rich natural resources. Many companies have pledged to reach net zero, but companies continue to be met with doubt and anger as seen as in many of the national climate change rallies that have been occurring over the last few years. So how can companies demonstrate to Canadians that achieving net zero is possible? in order to help our country work collaboratively to achieve this.
1: So I think you know it's an interesting question because I you know the polarized dialogue um, comes from a number of different sources. Obviously, you know there are and and, and I don't want to keep going back to oil and gas but you know obviously our oil and gas sector is under a lot of scrutiny, a lot of pressure from multiple uh, stakeholders to to address climate and obviously they're also having um, you know, they're being impacted by price fluctuations, which are also linked to the macro movement on climate. So when I think about some of these climate rallies, you know, you look at that there's there's always, always going to be um, one side and then another side. And then there's always going to be a neutral party that understands that we need to strike a balance here. Um, you know, there's going to be uh, cases where corporates can't necessarily change the mind of everybody, no matter what they do. So there are ways for companies to better demonstrate, though, that achieving net zero is possible. And the way they can do that, and, and most of them have started to do that is, is about being transparent about. So for example, if you, you look at, uh, across the country at a number of companies, they've started to set their, as I mentioned earlier, their greenhouse gas reduction targets or their own net zero targets. So there's been a big movement across um, some of the oil and gas companies that have set net zero targets by 2050 to align with our net zero target across uh, for Canada. And, you know, what their plans are, um, and a lot of them has set those targets this year, is that they need to transparently, dis- transparently disclose to the public and to their stakeholders what their plans are to achieve that net zero target and as well as what the impact that's going to have on their their financials, right? And so I think the way to do this is to be very, very transparent about why this matters, why it's critical, what we need to do to, to achieve it and the benefits of working together to achieve it versus engaging in a polarized dialogue that essentially will paralyze us in being able to actually achieve these targets. So we're starting to see a lot more proactive and positive discussion on the how versus the why we should do it. Um, And I think what you're going to start to see over the next 18 months to two years is a lot more transparency from companies on what not only their targets, but their strategy to achieve them. Um, And I think that that's going to help to, you know, hopefully, change the narrative a little bit so that people feel a bit more neutralized um, on the topic and, and allow us to, you know, collectively work together versus engaging in constant arguments over whether we should or shouldn't.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, what I'm hearing is it's um, stakeholder engagement is paramount, but um, on the stakeholder side, it's that, you know, everyone must come in with, with an open mind as well. Um,
1: Absolutely. And, you know, there are going to always be um, some that are for and some that are against. Um, You're going to have people that um, have a a belief that certain industries shouldn't exist at all. And it's difficult for, um, it's not necessarily that everybody is going to agree on everything. Um, But I do think in order for us to actually move the needle on this topic at all we need to make sure that we're working together and understanding the balance we need to strike between addressing climate meeting our targets and balancing the impact um, on our economy.
0: Yeah definitely uh, uh, we're in a unique position in Canada I think and have a huge opportunity it's just a matter of getting somewhat on the same page.
1: Agreed. Um,
0: and so I guess on um, a little bit of a, a different tangent, and I, I try to keep by it, my own bias out of the show, but what I do believe is that taking personal accountability for contributing to climate change is key. So what are yeah. personal, everyday decisions that individuals can make to mitigate climate change?
1: So there's a number of different things we can do. I mean, obviously we know that... Um, You know, at a household level, for example, understanding know your own energy usage as a household is key and understanding what measures can be put in place to actually mitigate your the amount of energy that you use. So from lights to appliances to looking at energy smart um, technologies in your home, Um, you know, those are there's a lot of different things that can be done there. Um, thinking about your day-to-day, you know, commute. Um, and I know that we've started to see, especially as a result of COVID with um, working from home. Um, yes, we may all be doing less commuting, um, but our energy usage in our home has likely gone up significantly. So, you know, it's interesting to actually analyze what, what can be done there. Um, but, you know, obviously commuting makes a difference in how you commute. Um, food choice is another one um you know you started to see obviously this movement towards a plant-based diet whether you know that's that's a personal choice and and people make that choice for their own personal reasons but you know the data is out there to support that you know and and i'm not here to to say anything whether i'm for or against it but from a pure science-based you know you know eating less meat essentially reduces reduces emissions um I personally eat meat, so I I haven't necessarily made that choice um, yet. But, you know, I think that you're starting to see a lot of discussion about the movement to plant based proteins um, and and buying local. So looking at, you know, where food is coming from, um, when you look at how much, especially um, in Canada, we import from other other geographies, you know, looking at buying local versus um, you know, buying food that has come from other jurisdictions. And I know that that's not always easy, but being aware of it, I think is really important. Um, type of vehicle choice. So if you're buying a new vehicle, considering, you know, different types of vehicles, again, I'm not saying that one is better than the other, um, but, you know, that's something that if, if if a person is very passionate about this topic, you know, considering your, if you're making a purchase on a vehicle, the type of vehicle. Um, and then investment decisions. So that's another area where we've started to see, you know, people make um, more proactive decisions on, you know, stocks that they buy, um, you know, as it relate where they have control, looking more closely um, at their portfolio and how that fund um, performs and and how, you know, there's if is there a tie to climate, um, you know, and we started to see more and more people take more accountability. Um, as it relates to climate um, in decisions that they're making with their investments. And so that's one that I think you're going to start to see a lot more of.
0: Great. Yeah, those are um, those are great uh, uh, tips. I think it's sometimes hard to wrap your head around, you know, how do I as a one person have an impact on climate change? But I think those are really practical, practical, tangible ways for people to kind of wrap their head around small things that they can do um that make a collective yeah, impact it,
1: it starts with awareness too and i you know i'll be honest i i work in this space on a full-time basis and i can tell you a lot of the things i just said some of them i don't do and i haven't considered doing so it's not that i am an expert on on the personal side i would say there's there's always going to be room for improvement but you know i am definitely trying to make more conscious decisions on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I think that's where it really starts is that, that level of awareness.
0: And so there's a lot of misinformation about the fight against climate change. So where do you look for credible data and thought leadership on the topic?
1: It's a really good question because there's a lot of misinformation out there. I agree. And one of the things and, um, that I would say is, Always if if you're looking at science and you're looking at journals to make sure that the information that you're that you're looking at has been peer reviewed, Um, there's a lot of information out there that hasn't been peer reviewed. Um, And, you know, depending on what the source is, um, it can come across as very biased. Care, being careful about political agendas. So we all know that um, you know we we all turn to our own our sources of information for for news, um, recognizing bias and, and agendas in in the information that's being um, pushed out through different media sources, um, and and making sure that you think critically about the agenda um, is really important on this topic because. Um, Some of what we're seeing on the on the polarization of the topic is because of misinformation and so trying to get back to a source that you know is credible, has been peer reviewed, that you can look at the data, you can look at the science and and get educated on the topic. Um, I've definitely seen a lot of misinformation be spread on this topic over the last year because of different election cycles. Um, We're seeing a lot of that uh, in uh, south of the border. Um, and so getting educated on both the physical and the financial impacts of climate change is really, really important and not not to push the consulting angle, but there is a lot of thought leadership that gets issued by independent consultants. So whether they're in the, you know, financial community or uh, other, um, you know, the the information, for example, you know, for, that I think that our firm, you know, issues is is considered to be credible. You know, we have a role to not be biased. Um, what we push out needs to be factual, and so I think that you can rely on that information as well.
0: So, how can people uh, connect with you to follow your thoughts and and your work?
1: So, I um I, I can be followed on LinkedIn. Is usually where I publish uh, most of my thought leadership, um, and so usually that's that's the the best place to to get access to that information. And so um, just adding me on on LinkedIn, I can also, that's usually the best place for for me. I'm not a big Twitter user mainly because I can't keep up with it. So LinkedIn is is really the best place um, to get access to that information.
0: Great. Well, I've learned a lot about a very hot topic. So uh, thanks so much for joining me, Megan.
1: Thank you, Kendall. Thanks for your time.
0: Thanks for joining me on this episode of Green Bull Radio. I'm your host, Kendall Titchener. Please submit guest ideas and ESG-related questions via our social media at Green Bull Radio on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thanks for listening.